Welcome to the Poultry Health Today podcast, where we talk all health, all the time. Here, engaging interviews with today's leading industry experts. Hosted by Poultry Health Today editors, podcast episodes highlight the latest ideas, insights, and advice to improve poultry health, welfare, performance, and food safety. Hi, my name's Caroline Stocks with Poultry Health Today, and with me is Eric Orozco, who's a veterinarian at Butterball in North Carolina. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Caroline. Today we're talking about turkey coronavirus enteritis, and it's a disease that you've had first-hand experience with um, in dealing with flocks in, in North Carolina. Can you tell us a little bit about when you first saw signs of the disease? Yeah, so the current outbreak started back in June last year, 2021. And before that one, there was another break back in the game uh, as well in the summer of 2018 to uh, the summer of 2019. And can you tell us a little bit about the, the farms were, that were affected? Was it just one or two farms? Were they um, of a small size or were they larger units? Can you, can you give us a little bit more information on that? Yeah, so this, the current outbreak started in a couple of farms, both finishers around eight, nine weeks old. Uh, these farms are on the same premise. Uh, so normally we, we do kind of uh, surveillance, routine surveillance at eight weeks. That's how we actually detected it. And the week after, we detected it in the other farm. So do you actually run de- de- detection for this precise disease? Yes. So we, we normally collect drug swabs from the, the farms around eight weeks old, and we run a PCR or TCE. So that's how we would detect it in the normal surveillance. And, and is it quite a common disease? And I'm just wondering the reason why it's a, a, a disease that you commonly screen for. So this is a first break for me in this company, but uh, for my other vets have told me, it's been like kind of, it comes in waves. Like the last break was, like I said, three years ago. And then before that, maybe like three years before. And it's, it's commonly in the summer. I don't know if maybe the weather plays a role, you know, the humidity here in North Carolina, especially with... Uh, increasing population of flies and also conditions of the litter. So uh, just going to the, the, the detail then of the types of birds that are affected, you mentioned there that your, your sampling birds are eight weeks old. Is it a disease that typically affects young birds? Yeah, typically affects all birds. They're more susceptible around like three, four weeks, they're more susceptible. And also, you know, because they, they don't have the same strength and the same size of a bird of like eight, 10 weeks old, it will be more, um, it will cause more damage for birds of this age. But basically any bird is, any age uh, is susceptible. I mean, we can even have flocks that can get infected at 15 weeks old. So of the, the cases you've been dealing with, what kind of clinical signs have you been seeing? So at first we started with uh, the clinical signs that are described in the literature, such as flushing, uh, uh, a poor, poor performance in weight gain, uh, feed conversion ratio, those were the clinical signs we started to see last year. But then this year, about uh, around March, April, we started to see different clinical signs, such as high mortality, uh, basically high mortality and for no reason. Basically, we're just seeing like severe dehydration and birds that were not eating. And does the disease tend to affect entire flocks or is it pockets of birds? Normally it starts in one house. That's what we've seen. For instance, uh, the problem is when we have breaks in the brooder house. You know, we have younger birds about three, four weeks old. Um, yeah, we can have mortality, especially 
the first, let's say four or five days. And then, so from that house, we'll jump to the other house. Even we try to keep it, you know, by your security and everything with the growers, it will jump to the other house. And also, you know, it can jump to other farm within, we've seen like within one to three miles away. And what we're thinking the flies are the most important vector. Now you mentioned um, biosecurity there and you also mentioned flies um, being a potential source of disease. What kind of other sources of infection are there? Uh, we found also uh, darkened beetles. They can, also, they can also potentially, you know, uh, serve as a vector for turkey coronavirus. Uh, people, equipment, you know, going from, especially in the, uh, the cleaning time, you know, we clean out uh, for every single flock for the brooder hubs. So every, every flock will have different or new leader, fresh leader. So at the time we have these positives, you know, this equipment going to the barns and then cleaning it out, we have to take care that they're clean and disinfected, you know, properly. So equipment can be a, a potential also um, um, problem or issue for the spread of this disease. The people, of course, you know, service men going from farm to farm, sometimes we don't know if these farms are positive. So let's say that they go to this farm that is potentially positive. They go to a clean farm. And then at the time that they know, we know that it was positive. Now we have another positive farm. So that's another potential spreading. So how is Butterball dealing with that? Are you starting to, to track movements between farms or um, track kind of what happens to, disease, to farms that have the disease? Yeah, currently we started like, uh, you know, between or within all the interventions that we have, we started this one with the service guys. So now we have like designated routes, you know, so specific people will go to brooder hubs only and then other people, we got the finishers. So with that, we expect like, you know, we can keep the brooder hubs clean as long as we can keep the brooder hubs clean or negative of TCE, you know, the number of positive forms will start to decrease. And I mean the, the finishers. Yeah, so hopefully this, this new intervention will also help. Now, in terms of diagnostics, um, how is turkey coronavirus uh, enteritis diagnosed and um, how can veterinarians know if they need to test for the disease? So here at Waterball, we've got our uh, own PCR lab where we run our own TCE-PCR samples. So that's pretty convenient. We can have results pretty quick. Uh, another tool for diagnostic is uh, intestines, intestinal samples that we take from birds in at necropsy. And we can run also TCE, PCR on those. Uh, another tool of sample uh, is blood for serology. However, in the blood, sometimes it takes up to five to six weeks to actually have titers, you know, to have actually a diagnosis from those samples. Uh, clinical signs that I can tell you that I, you know, I need to take samples to check for TCE will be high mortality with no reason, especially at brother hubs, you know, uh, and also flushing diarrhea. Uh, I think those will be the main, the main clinical signs. And what kind of sample sizes do you tend to take? So normally we take uh, one good swat per house uh, and around six birds per flock. That's what we normally take. And this will be the same for, for the blood. But sometimes, you know, when we need like, we already got like results and we're not convinced or really confident about to, you know, call it positive or negative. We might take more samples, maybe like 10 or 12 births per, per flock. And if you have a positive, positive diagnosis, what's the next step? Are there ways to treat the birds? 
So we have this system that once we get a positive, we have like a notice, right? Where we have all the different forms that are positive. And this goes to everybody here in the company. So the pit meal, the reader guys, um, the hatchery, the commercial part, everybody knows about these farms. So we try to avoid them, you know, to stop the spreading. That's one of the main things that we have here. Um, also, um, you know, we start like, we have like these signs at the farms to show people that go visit these farms, they're, they're positive. So again, everybody's aware of that, again, to stop the spreading. There's no treatment for this disease. So basically we just try to treat, uh, you know, enteritis, another enteritis issues like the diarrhea and also the dehydration. So when it comes to uh, to preventing uh, PCA, what would your advice be to other producers? Well, I, uh, fly control is one of the main, the most, maybe the most important one. Uh, darkling, burial control as well. And just, you know, movements between farms, especially for growers that have more than one farm, try to have separate help separate equipment uh, and also uh, something that we try to to work with is the downtime for the growers you know because we understand you know place first this is a business at the end of the day but also downtime is really important for us and for the growers so that's also something we try to work on with them thanks for listening to the poultry health today podcast To get the latest news and interviews delivered to your inbox twice a week, subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting poultryhealthtoday.com slash join.